Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tell Black Stories podcast. I'm your host, Gia Peppers. The Tell Black Stories podcast was created as an extension of Color of Change Hollywood, an initiative changing the rules in Hollywood, ensuring accurate, diverse, empathetic, and human portrayals of black people on television and throughout the media landscape. Today, we're so excited to welcome Emmy Award-winning writer, actor, and producer, Lena Waithe. Today, she is here to talk about her new film, Queen and Slim. Queen and Slim tells the story of a couple's first date that takes an unexpected turn when a policeman pulls them over for a minor traffic violation. When the situation escalates, Slim shoots the officer in self-defense. Now, labeled as cop killers, the couple decides to go on the run in order to survive. Lena, as a fan and admirer, I am so excited to have you here today with us for the Tell Black Stories podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're gonna talk a little bit today about everything that this movie means. And I know I've heard you say that it is a love letter to black people. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's seen it, tell me, I, child. <laughs> you say that a lot. I've seen it a lot. Three times. Three times. I am basically a part of the cast at this point. Uh, part so of the thank crew. you. Thank, right, the crew. Thank you. You pick so up much. different things, yeah? Yes. When, you watch, yeah. when I watched it the third time, I was like, it's still. You still can't breathe, yeah. even even if you want wow. to. It's one of those things where you're like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Because I think so many black stories that we've heard lately have been retellings of the past. This right, was right. the first one where it was like, oh, this is millennial, this is real, yeah. but this is also something we don't know at the end is what's gonna happen. Right, right. So I appreciated the film. So thank you so much awesome. for creating it. Thank you it very much. And pushing it, child. I know, I know y'all had a time, but y'all yeah, pushed it. We did. But um, one of the biggest things that Queen and Slim tackles is the theme of police brutality, obviously. Representation being seen and what it means to be black in America. And Daniel and Jody's performances really beautifully encapsulated all these themes in a complex way. But can you talk about your process in casting Jody and Daniel as the leads? How did you know they were Queen and Slim? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, when I write, I actually... Um, don't think about actors. I know some writers maybe like to do that, or they like have like a picture of a certain actor they really right. want for the part, which is like totally fine. Like I, I get that. For me, it's like I I can't have it restricts me yeah. if I have an actor in mind. So I'm just really trying to create th these characters, and also these characters are very much a part of me, and I'm pulling stuff from, from my wife or family member. So it's more based on real people. So what I do with the casting process is sort of allow it to tell me who needs to be in the movie. Yeah. So I try to keep an open mind. So that being said, I was having dinner with Daniel just one night and we were sort of chopping it up and he just asked, what are you working on? And I had just finished like the first draft of it. So it was very early days. And I said, well, I just finished a script about a black man, black woman, they kill a cop. He's like, say less, I want to read it. <laughs> like, oh, where? And I was just like, okay. I was like, well, I haven't done typo check yet. He was like, I don't care. Because he really was like, a fan uh, of my writing. And so he's like, I just want to read it. And so I was like, all right. So I sent it to him. He wasn't angling at all. We weren't, that's just not who he is. Uh, but like literally two days later, he emailed me and was like, I'm slim. Wow. And I was like, what? And I was like, well, um, thank you. Yeah. I'm flattered. <laughs> but I was like, well, here's the crazy thing. I was like, I really want Melina to direct it. And I was like, and I just haven't gotten it to her yet because I'm not ready to give it to her. But I said, when I am, you know, and she ag if she agrees, which I felt like she would, I was like, she and I got to have a conversation about right. who Queen and Slim will be. So I said, I was like, if you can sit tight, you know, wait for her to read it, hopefully agree to do it, and then hopefully she'll sit down with you. Mm -hmm. He was like, cool, I'll wait. And he did. He waited a few months because um, it took Melina a beat 
to read it because there was so much going on. She finally did. She gave me that fateful call and was like, yeah, this is it, man. We're going to do it. And I was like, okay, amazing. But I was like, yo, uh, Daniel Kaluuya want to be slim. And she was like, what? He ain't slim. And I was like, I get that reaction. I said, because I, you know, it, even if you told me, oh, list some names of people you want. He might have been I don't know if I would have. I, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, he wouldn't have come to mind. So I told her. But then I said, after he said that to me, though, I can't get him out of my yeah. head. I was like, I, I can't shake it. So I said, you should sit with him. She's like, all right, I'll give him five minutes. I was like, all right, fair enough. Yes, class five Malina, minutes. Class of Molina. Yeah. So sure enough, and she was doing it out of respect for me. She's all like, you know, I'm doing respect for you. I go see him. All right. So they, she goes. I'm waiting for the text. I'm like hoping. I'm like, because now I'm like really loving the idea of him doing the part. Five hours later. She calls me. She's like, I hope you still like him because I offered him the part at the table. Wow. And I was like, oh, great. So then it was like, okay, so now we have our Slim. Yeah. Like, he didn't read for it or anything. We have our Slim. I got Melina. Right. And you got me. And you got the script. And we, like, set it up. Then that was the thing because we were like, who do we want to get in bed with? Um, because we knew at that point that whoever Queen was, that she'd be a discovery. And we really wanted her to be brown-skinned. Wow. Um, and luckily, Daniel already set that tone in terms of his beautiful chocolate melanin that, that he comes with. Okay, let me tell he you. Is, he's a brown boy. That boy is fine. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. So we were like, yeah, like she got to be just as, you know, brown and beautiful as, yeah. as Daniel. So, you know, and then Carmen Cuba, our phenomenal casting director who, who cast, you know, my stuff. She cast The Shy. She cast Atlanta. She cast all the good things. And so she sent us a first batch of just women to look at. And also too, it was tough because because it's me, because it's Melina, and then we had Daniel, it became this like big story. Normally it's just like you go through casting right. and but by Everybody the time in America probably gave people heard about it, it was just like there's so much pressure. So I felt bad for these women because I was like, I don't know how they're gonna come in just to, and be themselves. But Jody just like from her tape, we were just so stunned. Mm -hmm. And then we had her come in again. And so then we were just like, Okay, well, this is the the final test of you know chemistry read with Daniel, yeah. uh, which also really helped us to have him you know read with the, the the women, and there was no one else. I mean, honestly, we had a couple other people come in, but we were just like, she has to work, right. and we said a prayer. She comes in, Daniel kind of shrank. And we always say it's not because she's a person that makes you feel small, but it's because he knew he was in the presence of royalty. And that's when we knew she was queen. So that's how we kind of got those two. And we I remember we took a little Polaroid of them. I'll never forget it. And we looked at the picture and we were like, whoa. I heard them saying the words the first time yeah. was crazy. Which um, scene did they have to read? The horse scene. Oh. They did the horse scene. Oh. Um, you know, which won't make sense to anyone, but yeah, when they see the movie, it, it will. Um, which was very important to me. And then I think maybe the diner scene or maybe the car scene or mm -hmm. something like that. Just a couple. We kind of worked through a few. But it was just electric. It was electric. And so that's how they came to be. I love that. Yeah, and I love that it was two chocolate, incredibly gorgeous young people right. who were leading it. And their like their photo is everywhere. I, I love walking down the street because I'm like, look at these gorgeous black it's people. crazy. And you know, and I think there's a little bit of controversy in terms of like British people playing yeah. Americans. I think to me it's divisive. You know, I always say no cop is not going to kill a black person because they have a British accent. So, you know, I think we got to remember that and we got to remember we're all connected. And also, too, it's like, I don't want my creative decisions to be based, to be dripped in um, politics. Absolutely. It's like, we wanted to give people the best movie possible. Right. And, you know, we were like, yeah, we want an American, this and that. But the truth is, Jodi is more Jamaican than mm -hmm. she is British. Mm -hmm. um, and she moved to, you know, America when she was seven. So she's been in America many more years than she has anywhere else. Right. But also this idea that you're judged on how black are you, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. It's it's really, it's, it's, it's something that we got to get over. Absolutely. You know, I think I get it. I think people like to be angry and, and want to find reasons to poke 
poke holes at things, but ultimately we really want to find the best people for the for the part and uh, both of them just really sing. And that's what we always tell people too. Like if you're somebody that's like, you hate British actors and you're like, I don't want that, come see the movie. Right. And if you walk out, like I'm, like if that if that bothers you, then fair enough, go ahead and do the rant. But if you if you come in and you're moved and you're touched by the performances and you like the movie as a whole, also stand up and say, yo, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Their performances are great. Um, and you never want to take an opportunity away from someone just because something they can't help. Wow, this is the why she's the one, okay? Because like that's real though. I think people really, yeah, in the internet born. age, yeah. Everybody's opinions are just so without facts. Without, like, at some no, point you see something that's tweeted and you're like, oh, I want to retweet that. Right, and, right. Like, think about what we're saying, because this is another divisive thing right. that really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. People just look for a reason to hate. Exactly. It's What's like, for you, for you? If you're British, you're going to get it. If you're American, you're going right. to get it if it's yours. Um, and then you also said during a recent interview uh, that Queen and Slim weren't vigilantes. They were two people who decided to li live and survive wow. and that there's something in their survival that black people find hope in, which is absolutely true. Um, they were just trying to get home. So could you expand on that last part? And how do you think black people can find hope in their decisions to survive? Which is like a daily thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, being black is a constant sort of um, fight for survival, uh, constant search for freedom. Uh, I think, you know, people sort of assume, oh, because, you know, slavery is over. It's like, oh, it's like, no, like, black folks are still searching for freedom and searching for uh, their space, you know, in this world. And I think, you know, the, I think that's what's so powerful about the narrative, you know, that, that kind of excites people is that normally, you're used to the narrative being the black person being the victim and dying. And the idea of swapping that, I think, has sort of like set this fire under people and has gotten folks sort of like intrigued and excited. And but what I do is like, yeah, I'll use that to pull you in. But once I get you there, now you just you with two black people, you know, and we're, we're you're seeing how we live, how we love, how we laugh, how we make love, um, you know, how we grieve, how we how we deal with our families, what our family dynamics can be, how they can be different based on our family members going to war and coming back different people. All, the, all those things, you know, I really wanted to, to meditate on. And, um, and that's what I think kind of surprises people. It's like, but also too, I'm, there's, there's humor there too. I mean, I got my start in comedy as, as most people obviously know. Um, and, but I think that to me is really exciting to challenge people about what an artist can be is that, yeah, I'm the girl that won the Emmy for comedy writing, but I also can like sort of, you know, write something very, you know, dramatic and emotional and will kind of, you know, take you out at the knees. Yeah, because I think she, the, my favorite, one of my, well, I'm not gonna give away the lines, Never mind. Y'all go see it, because the lines are fire. You, you can give them some lines. Yeah, because one of my favorite scenes is uh, when Uncle Earl is fighting with the girl. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, but it's hard to watch. Mm -hmm. Like, you're like, what is happening? And you're laughing because it sounds so ridiculous. Right. But Uncle Earl is, suffering from trauma. Oh, yeah. And I love to see the way that Queen was like, oh, child, I can't even deal with right, it today. Right. Like, and the, but that's a true st statement of it's family. Thing. I mean, also, too, that's kind of what Spite sounded like in my house. Yeah. And I think, it's maybe, you know, maybe they sounded like that in somebody else's house. Or maybe someone didn't have that in their mm -hmm. home. Um, but also, I don't want, you know, I'm not judging my family or my house for sometimes sounding like that, you know, because that also has an effect on who I am as a person and how I talk and how and what my swag is and but I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, like come on, the black folk, we we've heard those those arguments, those debates exactly. and those things. When <laughs> that's the, like Uncle then Earl. the cop kinda roll up, hey, we got a call about the disturbance. You and know, that, like, that's always gonna happen, you know. But also his reaction to that, you yes. know, that's why I really was like particular about, you know, he's different from Slim. He's, de he's, he's like, different. you wanna come in this house, go get your paperwork together. Okay. I mm -hmm. loved it. Well we ain't y'all close mm -hmm. the gate, Nick. Okay.
Go yeah, see it. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, but Queen Ooh. and Slim is such a testament to black women's power and resilience. Oh. I love that Queen was the lead in the beginning who was mm-hmm. like, we got to go. Yeah, Like, you, you come in or, she didn't even give him the choice. It was like, no, like, we're leaving. Let's go. Uh, and so. And the best part is when she yelled, come on. <laughs> it was written, but there's something about the way Jody said it. Right, it was very, right. like, every black woman that said that to somebody. Come on. Probably twice today. Uh, Come on, Uber. Uh, So they are often a a catalyst for change, and it can be as simple as black women saying no or black women's rejection of something that can easily spark a movement. Um, And so we see it over and over in social and racial racial justice work. Queen's rejection of the officers, police brutality, like her even just saying, like, are you going to put that gun down? Her being a lawyer and able right. to call the rights that he uh, had. Her also knowing she can record the arrest exactly. and all those things. Yeah. It, but still not feeling safe enough to not walk away unharmed. I right, think right. Um, it's such a testament to black women. Right. Um, so was this an intentional choice when you were writing the script to have Queen lead the way in the beginning and not necessarily Slim be the... Well, you know, to me it was always about how can I keep it balanced? You know, she, he will not be emasculated, she will not be dominated. Mm. Those were sort of, that was the thing. And it was sort of, and, and Melina also helped me make sure it's like it was never uneven. You know, he kills the cop, she makes a decision to run. Um, he decides he should go to Cuba. You know, it's like they really do pass the baton in terms of who's driving, literally and figuratively, who, you know, that's the thing. They literally take turns driving the car. And um, and I think that's sort of almost like the dynamic that we need as a community, I think, in order to survive. There is no head of household. It's like we both are. You know, mm-hmm. you both, you need both people. Like, again, even like when the car breaks down for the umpteenth time, you know, he pushes, you drive. They need each other. Mm. And I love that. That's a testament, I think, to black love in general. Like, none of us can survive this journey without anyone. I think it's really family, significant others. Like, we all need each other. And I think that's a really dope point that I just got right now. Yes. You got so many layers. We we try to do the commentary so so people can, like, hear, like, all the the underneath. Yeah. Yeah. The thing piece is going to be crazy. Oh, man. Uh, I'm excited. Part of Color Changes work is to create a better and less hostile place for black people. Um, but what really draws folks to different movements is the centering of black joy and not just black pain, which right, I think right. is really fire. And Queen and Slim does a really good job of, again, that balance. So why did you choose to tell a love story in the midst of all the chaos? Because it was chaotic and mm-hmm. they could have easily, they went on one date. It could have easily been like, well, look, hey, bro, look, I didn't like you that much anyway. Right, right. This ain't that. Right. But they decided to stay on this journey together and then have a love story be the main thing. Why was love always the the center? I think, you know, in writing this, I was in love and still am. And like, but it was, it was early, you know, early stages of love that, you know, that I was in. And now I think I'm in the more mature, you know, more grounded stage of it. But I think... I don't know if I could have written it had I not fallen in love the way I had. Um, I think that's just that's just natural, you know, in terms of as your life evolves, you so does your creativity, so does what you ruminate on. And it's so interesting because for a long time, the most important relationship I had was one with my mother. Mm. And so you look at the Thanksgiving episode, it, it exemplifies that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the another important relationship popped up was obviously it was with Alana. And so then that's where Queen and Slim was sort of born out of. Um, but also to the first relationships I had were with like, you know, after my mother and before Alana were my two best friends living in LA. And that's where 20s are sort of born out of. Or my early, earliest relationships in the world are with my grandmother and my sister and my mom and my uncle, which is where the shy comes from. So it really is about um, pieces of my life or things that I've ruminated on. And that's what's so interesting. My wife said to me, um, she was like, I look forward to, to, to reading what you, what you write about marriage and what that looks like for you and how you settle into that um, or eventually children. And 
And so that's the thing. It's like, this, it's sort of people have sort of grown up with me in a way or sort of watched me evolve as a person, as an artist, as a writer, and I want to continue to evolve. But yeah. that's really, I think, a big part of it. Also, too, I just enjoy writing two people in a room. Yeah. Uh, whether they're enemies, whether they're destined to be lovers, whether they're roommates, you know, whether Hello, Hello Cupid or whatever it may be. But I just really like writing, you know, two people in a room, and, and that's writing one-on-one. -on -one. It's like, if you have two people in the scene that are agreeing with each other, it's boring. Yes. If you have two people in the room who are on polar opposites, you know, sides of, the, of an argument, then you have friction and you have conflict and something interesting to, to play with and something to do. So that's always my favorite thing is like giving, and that's why my North Stars for the characters were, for Queen it was Malcolm X, for him it was MLK, um, and then by the end of it they would have swapped places. But that was really how I could play with it. Of like, she's like, it, it, it's, it, it's, the example really is in the, um, well, yeah, in the diner scene when you first meet yes. them, He's praying, she isn't. He chooses aggressively, she's quiet. Right. So all these opposites, but then Black when they're- excellence conversation. Exactly, you know, she wants to bend the world, he wants to just exist in it. Um, but ultimately, you know, the pullover scene is really um, a metaphor on how black people decide to behave when a police officer pulls them over. You can either be the person that's like, can I see your badge number? Now ask why you're pulling me over. No, you can't search my car without a warrant. Or are you slim? Are you yes, sir? No, sir. I'm reaching for my wallet. This is my driver's license. Every black person has to decide, how do you want to show up today? Now the question becomes, do you want to go home or not? Right. And the sad part is, there was nothing in that in that scene that would have made it uh, justifiable for him to actually shoot him. Like, right. but at the end of the day, they have that incident yeah. and he has to fight for his life. Uh -huh. And I think that's why the film is so, uh, it's so heart wrenching because it could have been any of us, which I think is the point of Queen oh, and yeah. Slim. Like yeah. the names alone, it could have been any of us. Right. And so I, again, y'all just brilliant. Okay, <laughs> so um, again, we uh, this is in, in many ways almost protest art. Like I know you describe it as that oh, it is, in, yeah. before, and so I feel like everything you do honors. Black people in some way, the shy, the Thanksgiving episode, everything you do uh, really honors black people. But do you think that black writers should feel a sense of responsibility to do that? Is it on? Is it their onus to always do that? Um, no. And, and why or why not? No, I mean, I think here's the truth, which we haven't gotten to yet, is that black artists should be able to do and make whatever they want. Right. You know, it's yes, I, I know my narrative leans toward, you know, black people. Um, and I do think the reason why a lot of black artists write black stories is because if we don't, who else will? Um, and also we don't always want others telling our stories. Yeah. So um, it's a tough thing because Eventually, I may want to write something, you know, with the white protagonist. Now, mind you, there there are going to be black people in it, um, and I may want to like look at race and how it's handled through a different lens. But I need that room and that space to figure that out. You know, I don't want to just be put in a box where like you only can tell black stories. Um, you know, I want to tell all kinds of stories. Um, and it's interesting because you know, if you think about it, like oftentimes when I think about like like sort of figures that you want to tell their story. I do tend to go black because there are certain people's stories I want to tell, like Byron Rustin, uh, James Baldwin, Diane Carroll. Um, you know, so but at the same time, I'm also obsessed with old Hollywood. Like I'd love to do like to me, and I kind of missed the boat because Ryan Murphy already did it, but I was obsessed with Betty Davis. You know, All About Eve is one of my favorite films, and I really wanted to write a movie about, you know, her getting that part and when particularly that role and how it was sort of like this comeback moment for her then ultimately kind of fizzled out. But it's like, but again, it's like to me that's kind of interesting. Like you wouldn't expect a black writer to want to tell yeah. that story, but you never know. But then it's also black artists might get backlash for it. Like don't tell their stories, they got enough, tell ours. Yeah. So again, it's like putting handcuffs on artists, which 
it's not fair, it's not cool, and I think it's something we're gonna have to figure out how to navigate through. Absolutely, for sure. Absolutely, and I, I think I hope that this film and the way people show up for it just proves that, like, yeah, black writers, black directors deserve to tell all types of stories, yeah. like from this one to if there's a a Friends reboot and Jennifer Aniston want to do, you know, like whatever. Right, right, but right, there right. should be a black woman, a black man on set in some way. Yeah, I think that's really important. For sure, they know that now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but I also think, and and speaking of the the class of creators that you're in right now, I think it's so cool for you to be uh, growing alongside Melina, Justin Simeon, Issa, yeah. so many incredible people. Um, and when black people were first allowed on screen and to be visible, it was very much almost like a necessity. Like, we exist. Right. They were, we were the maids, we were the mammies, we were, you know, everything that was almost disrespectful to, to take it. Right. But we needed to be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then as it grew, it was protest art, it was uh, black, exploita black exploitation, literally all these different film genres were birthed out of these different generational times. Um, and I think like the 90s were great for black drama and the 2000s were great oh, yeah. for black comedy. Uh -huh. So now that we're in the late, almost 2020s, uh -huh. what do you hope you guys' narrative as this class of creators uh, is defined as, if there's a way to put that into a few Word. Yeah, I mean, I think this class is sort of a, where's the deal? We're so influenced by everything mm -hmm. before us. I mean, yes, a lot of the 90s stuff. I mean, you see uh, the Glover brothers, as I call them, <laughs> Stephen and Donald are doing a re remake of a House Party. Obviously, we were doing an extension of Boomerang on BET. So that stuff is ingrained in us. You know, uh, Love Jones gets a shout and Queen and Slim. It's so a part of our um, education. Uh, um, and we we study it, we want to mimic it, but we're also getting, I, the, the word I would use for us, and this may seem like a weird word, but weird. Like we're getting weird, you know, like with Terrence Nance with Random Acts of Finest or Donald, that, that season two of Master of None or Justin Simeon, you know, he has a, a movie that'll be coming out soon, uh, which will be the his uh, his sophomore film to Dear White People, uh, which is also a little, you know, it's dealing with horror, but kind of in a weird way. And so I think what we're doing, um, and, my, and I'm, I'm gonna get weirder. I think a lot of my stuff is kind of straightforward and very much about like, you know, just black life. Um, but I want to like, I want to get outside of the box a little bit. There's things that I've done and I feel like I've kind of like, all right, I planted my flag. It's like, y'all know who I am, y'all know how I get down. And then I want to like surprise people and um, and do some stuff that people may not expect of me. I think a little bit of that was like the, the Westworld opportunity mm -hmm. to to go and, and play in a world that, you know, I ordinarily wouldn't think that I would be in. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that shot was one that I wanted to get in there and, and take advantage of and stretch. Even with Donald doing Lion King and Beyonce as well, you know, doing Lion King and um, again, and, and Donald doing Star Wars. You know, I think it's a lot of us sort of stretching ourselves mm -hmm. and trying to do things that people don't expect of us, um, but we but we do it and sometimes do it well. And I think that's also what Gerard Carmichael is doing, his sort of like, he's sort of reimagining stand-up comedy. Yes. And it's like he's, he's, and also too with his sort of vignettes, these sort of documentaries he's doing about himself and his family, which I found to be very fascinating and you know you know he came out he came to New York to see uh, he came to BAM to see the screening of, of Queen of Slam and he really enjoyed it and hit us afterward. And so, you know, I think we're just trying to stretch. That, yeah. That's the thing we're all trying to do. Yeah, and I and I I mean it's really dope to see the different award shows and see you guys always oh, yeah. big each other up. Always. The, you are almost like a Voltron or like the Avengers of <laughs> the Black Hollywood and the, the, the creators. And I think yeah. for millennials, we look up to you guys so much, but we are so thankful that you tell our stories. Like yeah. not one part of Queen and Slim felt like this wasn't real. This wasn't a day-to-day -day conversation that I could have with myself. And the way that they describe the love that they hope for, to find for each other. Come on. Yo, that, that's a... And I'm not saying no <laughs> lines, because y'all need to feel those lines. The way that you did it, 
um, and we're able to bring out just the the raw pureness of what I think we as millennials are afraid to say mm. from what we wanted from wow, each wow, other. Wow, wow, wow. It, it was so good. So, wow, thank you. Th- thank thank you for that, I child. Because I was like, let me get on Tinder. But I appreciate not- that. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> because if you can find somebody that wants, like maybe I'm not looking in the right place. Look, it's like you got to make sure you withhold judgment. Okay. See, that's the thing. Look, we gonna get. The, we got to talk about, about to color of Uh-oh. change Uh-oh. because because oh. relationship podcast mm-hmm. be different. Mm-mm. Okay. Oh, but we were talking. We were talking about different types of stories. Yeah. What is the story that Lena Waithe wants to tell that you haven't seen in Hollywood before that you are like, you can't wait to bring this to life? Mm. Um, it's a bunch of stories I think we haven't seen yet. Um, there's some stories that are out there that I wish I could do like a you know a remix yeah. on. I'm not gonna say those, but. Um, you know, I think to me, I, I think, like I said, like, I'd love to see something with Baldwin, which I think I'm going to try to hopefully figure out. Um, and I want to do something about Lorraine Hansberry. Like, I personally want to do that. Um, so I love how I'm staying blackity black. Well, there's some other stuff too. Like, there's some, I definitely want to do something about, like, uh, open marriages. Ooh. I want to do something about... Um, you know, a woman who's like sort of in the third chapter of her life and, you know, maybe widowed and trying to figure out what's what's next and how she, you know, and how she wants to navigate that. Mm-hmm. So there's so those things I want to tell, but then also too, in terms of stories that I think we need to see, we still haven't seen a story with a protagonist with, who's someone who's asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really interesting and it's definitely, you know, uh, a community that I don't think, I think is very underserved and sort of ignored. Um, I think the trans community still has, you know, there's, a lot left to be done. I think people kind of feel like, oh, okay, we got posed, so we cool. It's like, nah, you can't just have one thing. Like, you have to have, you know, multiple stories from multiple different perspectives, um, with socioeconomic backgrounds and all those things, um, and also sort of not necessarily period or or dealing with, like, the just the darkness of it. Um, I think to me it's like, again, there's joy, there's love, there's laughter in everybody's stories. And I, to me, that's how you really humanize people is by watching them laugh, by watching them make love, by watching them do things that bring them joy and peace. So that's always what I'm looking for is like these communities, these pockets that no one really sees or people ignore. It's like, wh- wh- let's go into their world and yeah, explore the the tough stuff, but also show them having fun and, and turn it up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, you tell human stories yeah. so well. And I think that's so important um, in this whole day and age. Thank and speaking you. of in this day and age, girl, you just got married. Congratulations on that. I love yeah. marriage and black love. Yeah, it's just so man. beautiful. You got to grow um, up at some point. Okay. <laughs> but as Thanksgiving approaches, mm. we're, we're reminded of the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None, which yep. you co-wrote, won an Emmy for. I always love to just bring that up, Emmy-winning, award-winning. Um, but the, the becoming the first black woman to win an Emmy for comedy and writing. And during that episode, you took us through the journey of the character Denise, her coming out story, which had some few parallels to your own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you're a queer, a queer black woman who we love and we champion and, and we support. But I'd love to speak to you a little bit about the importance of black queer representation and what you hope your legacy would be as a black queer person leading in Hollywood. What do you hope, you know, the young girls who are looking up at you who don't see themselves in their day-to-day community see in you? Well, one, it's been a real honor, I think, to sort of represent uh, a community. You know, it's also a responsibility and it's a little heavy. Because again, here's the deal. I, I don't believe in God's immortals. You know, we are all mortal. Yeah. You know, we all are human. But I also know that we have to create the heroes that we need. Mm. And I think that um, I didn't realize it, you know, when I sort of 
took that gig on Master of None, and 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 because initially the character was supposed to be straight, yes. and um, and Aziz was like, "Yo, man, like you're cool. I, let's just make the character a lesbian and dress like you and yeah. walk like you and talk like you." Um, and I was like, "All right." And so he really did celebrate me, you know, as who I was. He wasn't trying to change it. He was like, "This works. This is interesting." And he was like, "And I want the character to sound like you, so help us with the, you know, some stuff." But I really, I didn't, I didn't do any writing in season one. Season two was the first time I picked up the pen, but. Um, but that, I think, to me, was a revolutionary thing for him to put me on t on TV as myself, yeah. and and I think um, there was a community that had been ignored and had, that had sort of been invisible for so long, even though I knew it existed, yes. um, even I wasn't really a part of it, but I knew that there were like these queer women who were masculine presenting, but their pronouns were she and her, and 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 I just I I was I was that was me. It was like I was sort of a soft stud, is what I used to call myself, and um, and and they and I, when I see them out, man, they're like, yo. This is crazy. They obviously hit me up a lot on social media. And they're just like, I feel so seen. Like, I feel like, what you represent for us? And a big thing for me is that I, for those of them who want to be in the business or whatever, I'm always working to make sure they have those opportunities because I don't want to be the only one. I have no desire to, to act like, yeah, I'm one of one. It's like, right. no, there's so many more amazing queer women who, you know, who are doing interesting things, who are who are amazing chefs, who are rappers, who are, you know, just all people just living their lives, mothers, bankers, right. teachers, you know, but for those that want to be in the business or got music, whatever, I'm like, let me hear something. What else you can put on the shy? Or like, you want to act? Okay, we'll help you with some acting classes. Then you come audition. Like with 20s, the girl who's, who's, who's playing a version of me, her name is JoJo. She's a queer woman. She's got a haircut just like me. She was trying to raise money for a, um, a web series that I was like, like, this don't look like it's it. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you need to like put oh. that down. <laughs> Come audition. Let's see what you're working with. Right. She came auditioned and it was so good that we offered her the part. And so then she was like number one call sheet, this queer girl, you know, you know, and just is like about to be, you know, on 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 primetime television, you know. And she's just like amazing. She's like my little sis. But that and also too, my our director has a queer, you know, black woman as his assistant, and she was there, you know, hanging out and working and dressing like me and rocking like me. Like she like she, we look like each other. Yeah. And she she said to me something very powerful. She was like. You know, when I saw you, I was both happy and sad. Wow. And I said, huh. She said, I was happy because you were in the culture, but sad because I felt like I wouldn't be able to come in now because you they you got they got Lena, so we're so good. Honest. And she and I said, Wow. And she said, But you have proven to me in the way that you work and how you're doing things that you don't want to be the only one. You're making space for girls like me and Jo and Jojo mm -hmm. and you know to be to, to be who we are, but also to be in the space as well. Like you're not gonna allow people to make you a token. Yes. Um, and I was like, damn right. I was like, I want all y'all in here. You know, I want to help everybody. Even like, you know, when I wear queer black designers sometimes or whatever, it's like, how can I be helpful to the culture? How can we lift the tribe? It can't just be about self. It's like when we all come together, that's the most powerful thing we can do. Absolutely, literally. And we have one last question. Um, and, and we talked about legacy a bit, um, but I think it's such a heavy term for millennials because wow. we're still in the beginning of our journeys as as old as we feel day in and day out just trying to go to work on right, time right, right, right. um it's still of everyday decision to like wake up and show up for your dreams which i think oh, um you do hard. really well it's hard but um many of us are still just trying to figure it out day by day which i think queen and slim do really really well they were literally trying to figure out how to live survive for their lives yeah, yeah. um why was it so important for you to place Legacy in the forefront of the film. I, I would, I mean, I'm sure there's, it's in there like ten times the word mm -hmm, at least. Mm -hmm. Why was that the term that you said? Okay, this is what we need to put out into the atmosphere and the importance of having a legacy. Because 
Look, we talk about ancestors a lot, you know. But here's the deal. We're someone's ancestors right now. So wow. what, it's like, real. That's crazy. That's the first time I ever thought about that. It's true. So wow. it's like, what kind of ancestor do you want to be? Wow. How are you going to, you know, our fingerprints are going to be left on somebody's skin at some point. You know what I mean? Like, these, these, the, the next generation is going to turn around. They are going to look at what we did and how we lived and how we told stories and how we loved each other, how we tried to hate on each other, like, you know, fight each other, come together. Like, they're going to look at what we did and how we lived. And, um, you know... I'm aware of that. I'm like, I'm somebody's ancestor. Mm -hmm. So how, what, what am I leaving? What blueprint am I giving them? Shout out to whoever raised you for real, cause you fire, like look, the ancestors. Yeah, like, that's... thank you to, thank you to Lena for coming and, and hanging out with us here today on Color of Change, tell black stories. Make sure you go Please. and see Queen and Slim. It November is everywhere. 27th. But, go, go, go holiday weekend, okay. man. Show up and show out. After di dinner, after Thanksgiving eat. dinner, after midnight. Take the whole crew, man. Make everybody come. Yes. Wake up, get your coffee, because we know you're going to be full from dinner. Yes. And go see it, because it's literally one of the most moving, incredible films I've seen, but it also is a realistic snapshot of what it's like to be a black person today. Like, it's not about the 70s. It's not about anything. It's right now. What would happen if you tried to fight for your life. So please, please go see it. Yeah. Thank you for telling our stories. Thank you, sis. Thank you for loving us, child. Y'all <laughs> love me. I appreciate it. We it's do. We love me. It's a mutual feeling. Yes, yes. But please go see Queen and Slim, and we'll see you guys next time. Queen and Slim hits theaters nationwide November 27th. Make sure you check it out. And you can also find more of the Tell Black Stories podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.